Jesus is risen. He has given us a beautiful day, a historical event and history that makes every other single day bearable in our lives because of what was accomplished today in the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to celebrate today by looking at some amazing scriptures that take us through that, that wonderful story that gives us hope and assurance and just an overwhelming peace and love for what Christ sacrificed on our behalf and to celebrate that it is fully, completely accomplished. I ran across um, a really weird statistic the other day. Uh, did you know that about 150,000 people a day die? 150,000 people a day die. It's worldwide, worldwide, and obviously through a variety of circumstances and situations. But 150,000 people a day. Does that ever cross your mind? How that affects you? How does that affect you? Probably not very much. Maybe one out of every few that pass away, you kind of take note of and go, oh, wow, that, that was unexpected, or wow, that hurts because it's, it's, it's deeply painful. And there are some times where, as a nation, we recognize those who have passed away, whether especially in the line of service or um, a tragedy, we begin to lower our flags at half mass and we recognize that someone has died and that should give us a moment of pause to reflect upon their death, that tragedy, and the events around it. And uh, that weirdness of Google searching how many people die a day led me to what happens when Queen Elizabeth passes away. And uh, it's not something I think that's going to really affect the politics here in the United States or affect us very much. Um, but very interestingly, they've already decided what's going to happen after she passes. And there is going to be 12 days of mourning in the British Commonwealth, including no televised sports, no televised comedy. And so they're not going to allow any comedy or sports to be played or, or, or broadcast during that 12-day mourning period up until her funeral. And uh, the reason that was given by the royal household is that they want people to reflect upon the meaning she had to our lives, obviously to, to, to Britain. And uh, that began to make me wonder even more, how, how long can we go without reflecting upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can we go an entire year without thinking about it? Can we go an entire month without really thinking about it? Can we really even go a day without thinking about his death and resurrection? Does it really have a meaningful impact for how we live this moment, some 2,000 years after the fact. We have a future hope. We know the resurrection is going to mean something to us when we die and we're resurrected again. We know we have that hope. But today, what in the world does it mean for us today that he died and rose again? So we're going to start down that journey for this morning and we're going to look at Luke chapter 12. Now, the resurrection of Christ is recorded in all four Gospels. I just simply chose Luke's Gospel to talk about this morning. Um, because it was somewhat brief. 
But it's still the same thing that happens here that happens in the other four Gospels, although Mark's is even shorter. I, I could have picked that, but we're looking at Luke chapter 24. And in those first 12 or 13 verses, 12 verses, um, Luke records for us the events that he heard come to pass. Now, everything happening before this, we saw Friday night that he died upon the cross and was given as dead and buried for our sins. But verse 1 of chapter 24 of Luke records for us what happens after those events of Good Friday. But on the first day of the week, would have been a Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Now the spices being prepared were for the burial. There was no embalming or preparation of the body except wrapping it in spices to keep down, to keep down the smell of decaying flesh. So they were going there fully expecting to open that tomb and after Christ had been dead three days, to wrap him in these burial cloths filled with spices, frankincense and myrrh being the two most common spices used to cover that smell. And so they went there with that expectation, we're going to finish burying, preparing the body for its final resting place. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb because the stone was originally rolled in front of it. In fact, the religious leaders said, to Pilate, you better post guards because we're afraid that his disciples are going to go steal the body. And so guards were posted there. And other accounts show us the guards were there when the ladies came. And there was probably a sense in which the ladies walked to that tomb, down that path, wherever it was, wondering how are we going to roll this two-ton stone out of the way in order to get to the body. But they didn't have to worry about that because as they walked, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It was gone. He had rose earlier that morning. But while they were perplexed at this, they were, obviously, what happened? Because this is where we laid him Friday and now he's gone. Where is he? Behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. It would have been angels. And they, I, I have no idea what dazzling apparel is, but the other scriptures talk about just robed in white, brilliant, shining whiteness. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? See, they had gone to a place of the dead. They had gone to a tomb, and they fully expect when they open that tomb to see Jesus dead. And the angels, those messengers of God who had probably the most brilliant job in their entire existence to announce the resurrection of Christ. And I imagine the angels who announced his birth were also super excited. But this is the culmination of all of God's promise. The promise of the birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. These guys had to be ecstatic, waiting for that day. God, is the day here? Is the day here? Is the day here? When are we going to go make that announcement that Jesus has risen and tell those ladies, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That had to be a brilliant exciting moment for them as messengers of God's truth. They had to be thrilled to tell others about the resurrection of the Savior of mankind. They waited all of history.
history for that very moment. He's alive. Why are you looking for him among the dead? They continued in verse 6. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And I imagine their mind went back to John in which Jesus said, Remember, you can destroy this temple, but in three days I will rise it up again. And everyone thought he was crazy. It took over 50 years to build this temple. How did you, you build it in three days? Impossible. And remember, John said it's because he was talking about his body, the true temple. And then all of a sudden, John said in that last verse of that section, then the disciples remembered. Ah, oh, that's right. Jesus said he was going to die and he'd be raised again. They didn't fully comprehend it. And still, they don't fully comprehend it because these women weren't coming to worship a resurrected Christ. They were there to prepare a dead Christ for eternal resting. But he's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you that he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day he would rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now the reason why it's the eleven disciples at this point, Judas is already out of the picture. So it's the eleven, not the twelve disciples anymore. And they went and told them exactly what happened. And to anyone that would listen. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who had told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, that is, the apostles, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Why didn't the disciples, the apostles, all of those that were following Christ, why didn't they believe this, these women's report? It's not that they didn't believe women. It's they didn't believe something like this could happen. How can someone who is dead be raised? Now, it boggles our mind. It should boggle our mind. Because these 11 and many others saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw other children being raised from the dead. They saw miraculous things, walking on water, calming storms, feeding thousands, healing disease after disease after disease, confounding the wise with simple words, healing the heart, allowing the cripple to walk. They seen miracles. How is this so different? Because Jesus did it to himself. He himself rose from the dead. That which was lifeless walked again out of his own power, from his own strength, from his own ability. And that seemed impossible. Even though Jesus from the very beginning said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. It is as if that just went one, in, one ear and out the other. And I kind of figure that we're in good company then because we have to be reminded a lot of the very simple things of the Christian life, like the importance of the death and resurrection of Christ for us today. But they listened to these women, and it should have triggered all of those past memories 
Remember when Jesus said this and this and this and this and just days before said, a good man will lay down his life for his friends. I'm doing this for you. Why wouldn't they have remembered that? Because we're forgetful. Because even now, some 2,000 years later, it's hard for us to believe in such miraculous things can take place. We are so ingrained with this is how the way life goes that when something miraculous steps in and says, draw attention to God and his awesomeness, we begin to feel, eh, that's old. Done that, heard that. What's the newest thing? Well, it didn't take long for the disciples to really figure out what's going on. So all the accounts tell us this, but in Luke chapter 24, verse 12, says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw that the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Marveling at what happened. What really happened? I mean, we know the resurrection took place. Marvelous. But what really happened that Peter marveled at, that Peter was just blown away with. I think it was more than just Jesus rose from the dead. I think it has everything connected to that. And the best place to find everything connected to it is in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Because I think Paul does a marvelous way of relating the wowness, the marvelness, the, the astounding nature of what that event accomplished on our behalf. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, going through verse 11, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, Wow, even Paul realizes we have to be reminded. We have to be reminded because we're forgetful. We have to be reminded because our attention gets off the truth and into our own circumstances, and we feel overwhelmed that we need to be snapped out of it and reminded. Snapped out of it and reminded. So now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I think Peter, at the moment he came back marveling, had a lot of this in his mind. That Christ lived and died and rose again according to the scriptures. Paul continues in that same chapter and discusses the importance of the resurrection and says, if Christ has not been raised, if that event did not take place, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else because our faith is in vain, our life is in vain, our hope is in vain, and we are utterly, desperately lost with no hope, no chance of rescue, no chance of being changed. This is all just fake, a placebo for the weak. But the resurrection did take place. And the ladies were marveled. Peter was in marvel over what had taken place. And Paul is utterly dependent upon what took place. He says in verse 20 of that very same chapter, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That is the central hope of the gospel. Because the gospel is all about Adam sinned and so did we. Adam sinned and so did I. Adam violated God's law, so do I. And without a second Adam to make things right, to live a perfect life, and to be that substitute on my behalf, I would perish in my sins. And because Christ took my sin upon his shoulder and your sin, died that horrible death, but was victorious over it. That gives us hope we will be victorious over it. Just as he was raised, so will we. Now, we've not seen that yet. That has not occurred yet. Our death, if, we're, if you're listening to me now, your death has not occurred yet. Right? Well, some of you, your eyes are closed. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but you aren't. You are alive. And death one day, though, unless the Lord comes back, we will be counted as one in 150,000 people that died that particular day. And for some, our passing will be full of grief. And for some, a world away, it's just a number. And we would remain just a number of buried that day if it was not for the resurrection of Christ. At the end of the chapter, and these are some of the most comforting, beautiful words I think Paul has ever written, and he's written some amazing, beautiful words. But these words are unbelievably comforting out of Isaiah chapter 25. He says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law 
but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we not marvel every single day at the resurrection of Christ when it means to us that our sins are forgiven and we have a new life, we have a new hope, and death itself cannot own you. It cannot own you. It cannot run your life. It cannot dictate your life. It cannot preoccupy your life. You cannot be afraid of it. You cannot live in fear of death. Where is the stain? Where is the pain? Where is, where is the finality to death for the believer? It isn't. There's no finality in death. It is but a moment in time that God has said, I will rescue you from when my son returns and all the dead will be raised and you'll be raised to glory. Just as sin entered the world through one man, so the resurrection, the hope, comes through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And only through him do we have that hope. What I like about Paul is that he gives us this enormous truth. The fact of Christ's resurrection, witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people, tells us exactly what it means. It means we're rescued from sin and we have the promise of eternal life that we will be raised again. Those are all monumental truths that should be easy for us to communicate to others with wonderment and marvelment and joy in our hearts to pronounce such good news that death can be destroyed, that sin has no power, that hell itself has no grip on the believer but Paul goes on to say in the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 how to apply it. And this is where we daily recognize the crucifixion and the resurrection and how it can become ours to live today. For Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters. Okay, and anytime scripture says therefore, it's a concluding verse. So he's concluding all this talk about the resurrection in uh, chapter 15. So everything he's talked about, he goes, now here is the wake up bullet point take home part. He goes, be steadfast, be immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He starts by saying, be steadfast. That means I have faith. I have to continue. I have to take one step and put it in front of the other until the Lord brings me home. I have a responsibility of moving forward with my life with God. Regardless of what I see around, regardless of all the just junk that fills our lives and attention span, all the different priorities that the world places on us, stop being distracted by that and be steadfast in my faith with God steadfast and then he says be immovable that means i don't care what's coming at me i am on solid ground and no matter what grabs my attention i focus on god i focus on his kingdom my heart my mind my effort my money my freedom is focused on how do i serve god this day regardless of no one else is serving god Regardless of no one else is loving or forgiving, I am to be immovable in my understanding, my marvel, and my wonderment at what the gospel has done in my life. Immovable. 
I know this is going to completely be out of left field. Totally. And I already am regretting I'm going to say this. I, uh, I watch sumo wrestling. Yeah. Those guys, they are immovable. I mean, I, I could not imagine trying to take on a 450-pound, 6'5 guy, let alone what he's wearing or where we're at. That is, that is like an immovable object, trying to push someone like that out of the way. But God says, oh, I know this has never been said in the course of human history, he wants us to be as immovable and stand our ground with just as much resolve and attention and dedication as those sumo wrestlers stand their ground and are immovable. So the next time you think about wavering in your faith, the next time you think, is God really real? Does he really want me to do this? I want you to picture a sumo wrestler. And I think immediately you're going to go, that is so weird, Tim. I mean, I'm visiting family, and this is the first time I've been here in a year. Out of, you know, I mean, what in the world are you talking about? But if that weird picture even blips across your mind for a second, and just let it be a second, don't dwell on it a lot. You blip for a second, immovable, steadfast, immovable, steadfast. What's the picture of that? Ah, got it. God calls us to be just as bold and big in him. Because Paul doesn't say it's because of me. He never says, oh, it's because of me, 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 me. He always says what? It's the grace of the Lord, the grace of the Lord. I am who I am because of God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And that motivated every disciple to just put their life on the line and tell the world how marvelous Christ is. Immovable steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I think it's important for us to remember that loving God and loving others, serving God and serving others, forgiving when it's really hard to forgive, to be filled with love when you really want to be filled with hate. I think it's very important to remember that all of our actions and activities while we may not see the fruit of it right now, we may not see its full importance. Yet Paul says, hey, all of this, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Your love of those people that are unlovable, it's not in vain. Your forgiveness is not in vain. Your service is not in vain. Your giving is not in vain. Your steadfastness, your immovability, your prayer, your reading, your fellowship, it's not in vain. Now, as the elders come forward for communion, I want to just simply take three quick things home for you. The first is that it is joyful to hear of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection because the story talks about his resurrection. So out of that day, one of 150,000 people that died his death and his life was meaningful to us, just like our death and our life 
is meaningful to God as his children. And secondly, the reason why this joy can be lasting, the reason why this joy can be ours, even if we die, even if we face death, even if we face tremendous sorrows, is because it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for us. We do not have to be afraid at all of death. I know the circumstances are uncertain, and maybe the uncircumstances give us a little bit of uncertainty. But the fact of it should never scare us. We should never be gripped by fear because we uniquely have the hope that this life is not in vain and God has called us to marvelous things to proclaim his truth of the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you for the beauty of the cross. As horrific of an event it was for an innocent man to die on our behalf, yet that fruitfulness lasts to eternity. Help us, Father, to be bold. Help us, Father, to be steadfast and immovable. Help us to be champions and declare with marvelous excitement the work of Christ in our life. And Father, may this communion and this remembrance of his sacrifice, his burial and resurrection, last us more than just a day. Let it last our entire life. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.